0: Let's pray again to the Lord before we go to his scriptures. I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege to hear your word publicly read aloud and taught together. We thank you for this corporate experience. And we pray that all of us in this gathering and all of us listening would see more of your son Christ and his life would make more sense to us. We pray that we would live like him. Father, we pray that you would help our hearts obey the scriptures. I pray that you'd give me help teaching the scriptures. And we ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would send great light as your words are unfolded. Give us light and heat to fill our mind and hearts to live in your joy now here on earth. Help us to do these things, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 What is one of your most treasured physical possessions? Think for a moment. What is one of your most treasured physical possessions? In 2019, Linnea Crowther wrote an article on Legacy.com entitled, The 21 Most Common Family Heirlooms. I'm not going to go through all 21, but I want to give you the top five. This is as of 2019. The top five family heirlooms that get passed down from generation to generation. Track along and see if this makes sense to you. Number five, letters, diaries, and scrapbooks. Personality of that loved one shines through. Number four, recipes. Handwritten recipe cards. If you know what that are, put your, put your hand up. Handwritten recipe cards, okay. Um, imagine if someone in your family has died and yet you still have a handwritten recipe card. How sentimental that can be to see their handwriting, to make that dish, to enjoy and eat that and just remember being with them. That's number four on the list. Number three, furniture. So a nice, well-built rocking chair or a bookcase. Number two, timepieces. A pocket watch, a grandfather clock, something like that. And number one is what? It's jewelry. Jewelry. So a wedding ring, an engagement ring, a necklace, or even if it's something inexpensive, but it's jewelry and there's a story attached. These Precious things make for some of the best family heirlooms that get passed down. They get passed down through the generations. And maybe you just heard that list and you're not the sentimental type. And you're kind of wondering why people even do that. Maybe for you, the treasured valuable things in your life would be something like a vacation. Or just taking a road trip. Or getting out there to that special scenic getaway. I don't know. Maybe you consider yourself a minimalist who despises material goods and you try to live a a Spartan lifestyle. And maybe for you, your your treasured possession is just getting up on Saturday morning and watching ESPN College Game Day. We all have treasures, don't we? All of us. And not to mention physical things that man made, but physical things like other human beings. We, We treasure things here on earth. And Jesus knows that about us. And here today, because all of us have treasures of some sort, to some degree, things that we highly value for whatever reason, Jesus today is teaching us and teaching his followers that were living 2,000 years ago on a hillside as he taught these things, he's teaching them fundamental wisdom about the wealth of the world. I hope that you'll listen in and look at what Jesus has to teach about the wealth of the world Go to Matthew chapter 6. Go to Matthew chapter 6. This is page 811 on the Bibles under the seats nearby. You'll be helped to follow along in the scriptures. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, take that one home with you. It's our gift to you as a church. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24 today. Matthew six nineteen through 24. You cannot serve God and money. Amen. Amen. I pray this morning that we would increasingly treasure God, expressing loyal devotion to him above all else that this world has to offer. We're here on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're just joining us and you're not a member of our church, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount in past Sundays. And it's a sermon by Jesus that's really a kingdom manifesto. It tells followers of Christ what the kingdom of heaven is all about, how they can live lives that display that they truly are citizens of a heavenly kingdom now here on earth. Jesus teaches us that Christians are to express their allegiance to the kingdom in a seamless way. And by that, I mean earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, He was teaching them about all these acts of private piety, private devotion. He was teaching them about generosity and prayer, the hiddenness of prayer, the the secret hiddenness of fasting. And now, in a a seamless way, he moves right into the public parts of their lives. You know, you might think that you could pray in a way that people might not hear you or, or know what you're praying at home privately. But the things Jesus is talking about here, the treasures, the possessions, the wealth, the stuff that we have, everybody sees it, don't they? That's a public part of our life. And Jesus has instruction to give us about how we steward our stuff and possessions and belongings. And if you notice, we didn't read it aloud, but did you see how verse 25 began with the word therefore? The word therefore is a clue when you're reading the Bible that it's kind of a break in the thought and you're going to get application. And I mention that to you because. This is why we're taking the unit of scripture that we're taking this morning. We're looking at verses 19 through 24 because beginning in verse 25, Jesus is going to give application of these principles that we're thinking about today. Now, Lord willing, there'll be some application in the principles today, but I hope that you'll join us again next week. Lord willing, we're going to continue on in this passage and see some profound implications of taking these principles about our stuff and belongings to heart. So here's how we're going to handle our time in the scriptures today. I want to give you the main point of this passage and the, the framework of how we'll walk through it, and then we'll walk through it. Here's the main point of the passage. If you were to sum up verses 19 through 24, what we just read aloud, it's this. Citizens of the heavenly kingdom are those who keep their hearts treasuring God instead of earthly wealth. Citizens of the heavenly kingdom are those who keep their hearts treasuring God instead of earthly wealth. And to make that main point valid, what Jesus does here is beautiful. He takes three strands and he weaves them together. Three contrasting strands. I want to show you that. I want to prove to you that's what he's doing and then we'll walk through it. So here are the three strands that he brings together. He He weaves them, braids them together. The first strand is a contrast of treasures. Did you see that in verses 19 to 21? Verses 19 to 21, they're they're a unit. Some of your Bibles even have them set apart, an indentation that it's their own little paragraph. We know that this is a contrast of treasures because of the way verse 20 begins. You see the word there? It says, but. It creates a contrast. Earthly treasure, heavenly treasure. Okay, so that's strand number one. And Jesus begins to do another movement. He takes a second strand and weaves it together. Put your eyes on verses 22 to 23. This is a contrast of perspectives, a contrast of vision. Here's the clue. Here's how we know it's a contrast of vision. Look at the way verse 23 starts. It's that word but again. So it's a contrast. And then there's a third strand that's a contrast of masters. This is all in verse 24. And if you're looking for the word but in verse 24, you're going to hurt your eyes. It's not, it's not written there. But do you notice what's the contrast language in verse 24? Do you see it? It says at the beginning of 24, two masters, and then it goes on to say, for either you will do this or do that. It puts a fork in the road, doesn't it? Either you're going to do this or that with these two masters. So before we get into the passage deeply, can you see how three strands of contrast are all woven together? A contrast of treasures, a contrast of vision and perspective, and a contrast of masters. Do you see that? If you can see that, some profound things will happen in your heart and mind later as you continue to meditate on this passage. Because Jesus weaves them all together because they're all interrelated. So that strange part in the middle about if your eye is good or your eye is bad and your body has light or darkness in it, that's going to start to make sense when we take these other two strands and we see how they're woven with it. So let's walk through the passage. I want to invite you to look again at verses 19 through 21. This is the contrast of treasures. Christians are to look beyond earthly treasures and store up treasures in heaven. We see this in verse 19. Look again at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus calls for a focus on laying up treasures in heaven and he wants us to be wise about the difference between the earthly versus the heavenly. And in the first century, much like the prosperity gospel that you may hear in some churches today, taught falsely, Even in the first century, many believed that the more stuff you had accumulated to your own name and your own family, the more stuff you had, the more wealth you had, that was a direct equal sign to the more favor of God you had on your life, that that God was so pleased with you, God loved you, you were God's favorite. But that notion is to be compared with Jesus' words in verse 19. It may have sounded strange to those originally hearing it. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he mentions moth and rust and thieves. In the turn of a phrase in verse 19, Jesus instructs us with irrefutable logic. Think hard about this, brothers and sisters. Irrefutable logic was just given to you in verse 19. And it's this, treasures on earth, are subject to decay, to deterioration, to depletion from theft. Why would Jesus mention moth and rust and theft? Well, he wants to make an airtight case that shows you everything in this created world is subject to brokenness and wearing down. The moth. You know what a moth is, right? You've seen a moth? You know, it may fly in at night when you got the lights on inside and it's dark and you didn't get the door closed fast enough and you're swatting around a moth in the house. My daughters know that I love to kill a fly or a moth the moment it gets in our house. I stop everything I'm doing because I don't want it to land on my face at night. But you definitely don't want a moth to go where? In your closet and do what? Eat away at your clothes. We don't need to talk about mothballs and other stuff. We just need to know the truth that that insect, a moth, is representing any sort of biological change agent, a process that would consume, just as rust represents what's a chemical process or erosion or a breaking down by elements reacting. You ever seen an old car get too old to drive? People call it a rust bucket. Whether it's moth or rust, There are processes on earth that will break things down. You ever seen a fixer upper house? Sometimes when they tear down the drywall, what's behind the drywall? Mold and mildew and some kind of rot that's eating away at the wood or termites. So whether it's cars or houses, all physical things on earth are vulnerable. Clothes might be protected from moths only to have a rip or a tear or a stain while you're wearing them books are subject to mold or sunlight damage or fire gadgets are subject to dings and dents and drops and falls people even if you don't think your treasures are people or your treasures are things it's people people get old or they get in car wrecks or they break bones or they get skin cancer people die Every person dies. It doesn't matter what your treasure is here on earth. It is vulnerable. It is vulnerable to these things. And Jesus is teaching these here because we never outgrow this truth, friends. We never outgrow this truth. Around each new corner, each new bend of life, new season of life we're in, there are brand new temptations for us to set our hearts on and treasure the things of this earth. It doesn't matter if you're a youth or a college student or a young parent or single or widowed or a grandparent. There are brand new temptations for you around every corner to latch on to something of this earth and make that your treasure. And if you put yourself in the shoes of those listening, the farmers and the city dwellers who heard Jesus, think about what the farmers would have thought about when Jesus said this. They would have been nodding their head, yes, thinking of all their farm equipment and their tools that would rust and the sun and rain and the storms and even their storehouses of grain that could be eaten away by little critters or or be ruined by mildew and the city dwellers listening to Jesus I found out something interesting this week studying this passage a lot of Bible commentators say that those who lived in the first century their houses were made out of mud brick and they were an easy target for thieves any thief that had a sharp object The right tools could actually dig into the side of a home and break in. Those listening to Jesus would have definitely agreed with that statement. Things of earth are subject to thieves or decay and ruin. But in our day and age, you know why we don't take it so seriously? Because we have insurance. We have insurance. If your treasure is something of your house or something in your driveway, or maybe it's in a safety deposit box in a bank and the bank gets robbed or whatever, we often just say, Well, I've got an insurance claim for that. But you and I both know, don't we, that there's some things that are irreplaceable in life, especially if it's sentimental and there's memories. It can't just be easily replaced. There's something worse, though. Imagine if if your treasures could be replaced by insurance. You would be falling for the trap that Jesus says later. That's still not good enough because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what he says in verse 21. So it doesn't matter if you have insurance on that thing that you treasure so much and you can replace it if it's stolen. Jesus is still holding up a warning sign saying, You're now attaching your heart to that treasure. So what's the antidote? What's the solution? Well, Jesus gives it to us in verse 20. Verse 20. He says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. God's people are to view the treasures of the world differently than those around them. They're supposed to look through the treasures of the world and see heaven See eternity always before them. We're supposed to lay up treasures in heaven. Before I explain what that means, because I want to help you. I don't want you to leave this passage wondering, what does it mean to lay up a treasure in heaven? Before we get there, though, it's worth answering the, the nagging question that may come at you. Is Jesus saying that you can't have nice stuff? If you have any sort of wealth, you're just sinful and far from God? Because he just said, don't lay up treasures on earth and lay up treasures in heaven. Well, think for a moment. Those who knew the Bible well would think about somebody like Job in the Old Testament. Job was the wealthiest man in all the East. Wealthy beyond measure. And Job was also blameless and upright before God. And then somebody like Nabal in the book of 1 Samuel. He was wealthy, but he was an utter fool. His foolishness was so apparent. That reminds us, just those two men, that it's not that if you have nice things, you're close to God. Or if you have nice things, you're far from God. Your wealth does not inherently make you closer or further away than God. It's about if your wealth has you, has your heart. Beyond that, we know from the scriptures that as Christians, we are supposed to steward the things that we have. To be good stewards of them. Because Christians can err by either despising wealth so much that that we just look down on anyone that would have a quote-unquote nice thing. Or we can go after things just like the world does and chase after them and find our identity in our wealth and possessions. But God wants us to be good stewards. I'm reminded of what happened to me about a month ago. Many of you know I was in a car wreck. Many of you have seen the picture of my beloved Honda Accord. I can't drive it anymore. It's totaled. I love that thing. The nickname was the Black Pearl. That was the color of the paint that was on it. I enjoyed it so much. But you know what? In the instant of a day that was so normal for me, time was ticking. There was only a few minutes left before that car would never be driven by me again. I didn't know that. It was a normal day for me. And just like that, a thief could take what's most precious to you if you have a heavenly, if you have an earthly treasure that's not heavenly. Heaven forbid that someone would steal or kidnap somebody of your family. If you've ever had anything stolen from you or taken from you, you feel vulnerable, you feel violated sometimes. I'm working right now, part of, part of the workroom of my own sanctification is to not idolize the vehicle I'm driving now, which was nicer than my Honda Accord. I have to remind myself this is just just earthly. I need to be a good steward of it, take care of it, be responsible with it, but not treasure it. I wonder what things of this earth are before your eyes right now in your life that the Lord is wanting you to remember this lesson. Don't make that thing a treasure. Don't do it, because that treasure is so vulnerable. And more than that, because you are meant and created to store up treasures in heaven. Lay them up in heaven. That's what verse 20 says. I want to share with you how to do that. Verse 20, look again at verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Heaven is a realm of permanence, it's a realm of unrivaled and unbridled joy. It's a realm of goodness that has a longevity that you can't even fathom. And in heaven, the brokenness and deterioration of this earth is scrubbed clean. Heaven is perfect. And in heaven, all that is there remains pure and undefiled and unfading. We know that from 1 Peter 1.4. 1 Peter tells us, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, let me offer you one verse in scripture, and I want to commend you to meditate on this verse and talk to brothers and sisters about this verse, maybe over lunch. Talk to some Christians who you see living this verse out well, because in this verse, all folded up together, there's a lot of principles for how to lay up treasures in heaven. This verse is going to use the language, store up treasures in heaven, but it's the same idea. So listen closely, maybe jot this down. 1 Timothy 6.17. 1 Timothy 6.17. We're not going to spend time in this sermon unpacking all the ways to do this in a nitty-gritty, practical way, but all the principles are right here in 1 Timothy 6.17. Here it is. It says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Catch this, listen close. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you see it? To do good, to be about loving others with your good deeds for the glory of God is how you store up treasures in heaven. Let's be about that. Let's let that mark our lives. Christians have been faithful in every age to learn this lesson of of the Christian life. I wonder how you're doing learning this lesson of being about storing up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It's going to start to sound weird here. Jesus moves from saying something that sounds so, I guess it would make sense to our ears, to saying something that sounds like it has just a random place and no bearing, like the the record player screeches. Did you see what verse 22 says? What, what in the world is this meaning? Jesus goes from saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. That sounds so disjointed. Well, let's stop and just remind ourselves where we are. Here, we're entering now the second strand, that first strand, the contrast of heavenly and earthly treasures. Here we are in the second strand, a contrast of perspectives. In order for us to start laying up treasure in heaven more and more, it requires a proper sight, a proper vision, a proper perspective. That's why he begins now talking about the eye is the lamp of the body. Some of you know what it's like to to look at a person's eye and instantly start to tell things about them. Have you seen any Disney movies or things in the media? Maybe Cruella de Vil or some of you out there who love Marvel, have you ever seen Venom? that character, his eyes? It's okay to smile. It's kind of humorous. His eyes look messed up, alien, dark, sinister. Villains in movies and even children's books, even if they're painted stick figures, often have a scowl frown on their face and their eyes are squinted. You've heard it said the eye is the window to the soul. Well, Jesus is now instructing us something about our eyes and its effect on our whole body, our personhood. Look with me here. Why is the eye such a good metaphor and descriptor here? Well, look what Jesus says. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So let's pause. The eye is that conduit, that bridge between the outer self and the inner self. That's how these original hearers would have heard that. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so Jesus says there, keep tracking along, keep looking. He says, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. How does that relate to things about treasures? Well, if we keep this in context, this peculiar phrase begins to make sense. Jesus may seem like he's suddenly talking about light and darkness, but if you've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about light. You remember earlier, back in chapter 5, he talked about, you are the light of the world. If you're living out these beatitudes, you are the light of the world. You have a moral purity to your life, an obedience to the word of God. Light in scripture so often represents divine revelation illumination understanding the things of god taking his words in psalm 119 verse 130 says the unfolding of your words gives light there's so much in that word light so when jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light he's saying if you understand the things of god and you take them in your eye takes them in then the inner part of your life will be full of light and your whole body will be full of light, meaning your whole life will show a life of good deeds before the world. You will be full of light. You will obey the moral teachings of the Lord. This is why Jesus is described in the book of Hebrews as the radiance of the glory of God. His life was so bright with the radiance of God, he was the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus, even at the transfiguration, remember, he gives a a glimpse of his pre-incarnate glory, that extra brightness. Jesus is the bright one, the brightest of all. And he's calling us, if our eyes are healthy, to see him and see his gospel and to be filled with light also. But there's a problem. The problem is there's a contrast of perspectives. It's not just that everyone who hears something Jesus says is suddenly filled with light. No, look at what it says there in verse 23. It says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Full of darkness. Darkness represents idolatry, immorality, being apart from the knowledge of God, apart from the light of the gospel of Christ. Those listening to Jesus would have likely thought of places like Proverbs 28, 22, which says, A man whose eye is evil hastens after wealth and doesn't know that poverty will come upon him. Maybe they even thought of Deuteronomy 15, 9, which says, Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, The seventh year of Jubilee, the release is coming near, and your eye look grudgingly, your eye be evil against your neighbor. There's these clues in the Old Testament that if your your eye is bad, your eye is evil, That was a metaphor for saying you have sinful intention in the things that you do when you when you look at others and you scheme and you your eye is evil. And Jesus here puts a great contrast between a good eye and a bad eye. I wonder what kind of eyesight you have. Is your eye healthy according to what Jesus says? I'm not talking about 20-20 vision and if you wear glasses Contacts. I'm talking about spiritual sight. Do you have a vision for eternity that the verses we just read talked about? Laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus lived this way. Jesus came to cast out the darkness of our idolatry. Unfortunately, we've gone so quickly over that verse where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We forget to connect the dots between that and having a good or bad eye. If you are treasuring things of this world more than God, you have a bad eye. You're not seeing correctly the weight of eternity. This is the sad news of the passage. When Jesus says, if your eye is good or if your eye is bad, the sad news is we are all born with bad eyes. We have all made the choice to have bad eyesight. All of us, no matter where we were born, whatever ethnicity, all of us have turned from God and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and created things. That's what Romans 1 tells us. And because of that, God in his right wrath, for you stacking up treasures on earth, which for many of us the treasure is just ourself, Because of that, God will wipe away that treasure in judgment because you didn't treasure him. He is worthy. That's the bad news, that your sin and rebellion against God and mine offends a holy God. But brothers and sisters, friends, here's the good news. Jesus actually teaches your eye can be good, your eye can be healthy, you can lay up treasures in heaven. How is that possible? Because of the light of the glory of Christ in the gospel. This is the way to change your whole life. This is the way to be saved. You look at what Jesus did on the cross and you don't think he just died to give me a great example. You look at what he did on the cross and because your eye has been made healthy by the Holy Spirit, you see, wow, that is me. That's me. Jesus is taking my place. Jesus is absorbing the wrath of God in my place. Condemned he stood on the cross. His blood is being shed so mine doesn't have to be. If you see that when you look at the cross and then you hear of his resurrection and with eyes of faith and great historical evidence, you know he's risen from the grave. Your eyes don't look upon the resurrection with scoffing disdain and disbelief. If your eye is good and you see the gospel and you see what Christ has done, your healthy eye will cause you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. If you have never done that, do that today. Stop living a life with bad eyes. Let your whole body be full of light. I pray that you would be in eternity with Christ and with all those who've turned from their sin and trust in him. This passage is is holding out the gospel for us. It's not just a passage saying, don't lay up treasures on earth. Check and see if your eyes are bad. This is a passage saying, lay up treasures in heaven. Your eye can be good and healthy. You can have spiritual sight and see and know and have fellowship with God if you see what Christ has done. This is a wonderful passage. And to finish the passage, Jesus weaves one more strand in. This is the third strand, a strand of contrast of our masters. This is the final piece that we'll look at. Verse 24. Verse 24. Christians are to delight in an unrivaled loyalty to God and verse 24 tells us how that can happen. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I see at least one person in this room who has been a high school athlete and tried to play two sports before. I wonder if there's others. This is going to help you understand this verse. Has anybody heard of somebody trying to play two sports in high school at the same time? Yeah, that happens. A lot of people try it. But what happens every time? The coach from one of the sports teams at the school and the coach from the other sports team have to compete over, is that player going to come to my practice or this practice? Is he going to come to this game or this practice? Those coaches, those masters of the team want that player's devotion. It is so hard to play two sports and be good at it. That's why so few do it. Namely, because of the time it would take to be devoted to both. If you can understand that, you're getting there. You're on your way to understanding what verse 24 means. God is saying, you can't have two masters in life that you are loyal and devoted to. If you're gonna lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth, if you're going to have a good eye that's healthy, that understands spiritual realities and lives good deeds of love, and you don't have a bad eye, if you're going to do all that, it's because you have a right understanding of who your master is, your creator, God. And Jesus here lays down something that's kind of peculiar. Did you see how the last word of verse 24 ended? What a, what a peculiar rival to God. He, he says the word money. Some translations say the word mammon. If yours says mammon, that's a a transliteration. The original word there just means something in which one puts their confidence. So money is a great word there because that's what many of us do. Our confidence is so easily placed in riches and wealth, the security that that seems to bring, our money can bring. I wonder if you're able to spot the ways that you're tempted to serve money, serve a paycheck, Let that be the the carrot that makes the horse go this way or that way. Wherever there's a little bit more money or wherever money is promised, you will just follow unswervingly. Jesus says, watch out. If that's what's going on in your heart, you're not going to be able to have me as your master because he puts the fork in the road. Either you're going to love that, be devoted to that, or me. So let's... Let's close by just hearing a few verses of warning from the New Testament about how dangerous money is and close out. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 tell us, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Time would fail to tell us of the rich young ruler, Remember that story in the gospels, the great possessions kept this young man from being able to follow Jesus. Do you remember the story in Acts chapter eight of Simon, the magician who wanted to obtain the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he could make money off of it. He actually tried to pay the apostles for the gift. Peter rebukes him and says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And Judas Iscariot in Matthew 26, Judas went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Christ. Are you convinced that money makes a bad master? Are you jumping off the deep end to think you can't have any possessions at all in this world? That's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is giving us wisdom to not despise material things, To not idolize and treasure them too much, but to be a good steward, to see with good eyes how we might use our goods to further the kingdom. I pray that we would keep loving Jesus more, and even with our stuff, we love Jesus more than our stuff, and we use our stuff, our resources for the kingdom. Let's let that be the heirloom, the legacy that we pass down, a love for Jesus Would you rather have a sweet heirloom that gets passed down through your family? Or would you rather be able to pass down through your family faith in Christ, where when people hear your name or know of you, they know that person laid up treasure in heaven? Well, Let's end today singing a hymn called Christ is Mine Forevermore. I want to mention the lyrics of this hymn that we're ending with, and then I'll pray and we'll sing it. Think about how this fits with our passage so beautiful. We're going to be singing Christ is mine forevermore. And it says this at the opening of the hymn Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him, yet I look for worldly treasure. That's all of us before we know Christ. But then the hymn goes on to say, Although we forsake the King of Kings, it goes on to say, Mine are keys to Zion City, heaven where beside the king I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Let's sing this hymn to help our hearts live out this passage and keep it on our minds. I pray that you'll lay up treasures in heaven because that's where Christ is. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning and encouragement and awareness all wrapped into one. Lord, please help us all to take these different strands of contrast and live them out. Lord, help us to see our possessions and wealth the way you want us to see it. Please give us grace for the ways we've failed. Please give us grace to enable us to treasure the right things. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for teaching us how to live as we sojourn to heaven. You are worthy. You are our treasure. In your name, we ask for help to live this out. In Christ's name, amen.